message was recorded at Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Well, you guys can get your Bibles out because this is what we do every single week, right? Um, and I would just encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, we have a white bag outside that has Bibles, a couple books. If you're new to faith, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hand tonight. Um, and if you didn't bring one with you, uh, that's totally okay. You're just going to have to leave and go get one and come back. Uh, just kidding. Uh, no, just grab your phones and you guys can open it up. And the reason why we ask you to have your own Bible, and as much as we hope the screens are right, is we want to make sure that anything that I'm saying, anything that's being brought to you is, is this, is the Word of God. It's not someone's opinion um, or someone's thoughts. So make sure you guys have this close as you study, as you learn, as you read. And as you're opening up to Hebrews chapter 12, Quick question. Have you guys ever found yourself um, seeing something or someone or experiencing something that is so magnificent, that is so incredible, so awe-inspiring, that it changes you, that it demands this dramatic response? And I I think back to when I saw the Grand Canyon for the first time or these different points in my life where I'm just like, wow, that, that was really incredible. Uh, but I want to share one. One of my favorite times was uh, last year, I was running um, early in the morning on the beach in Carlsbad, and there was a, um, and, it, and it was freezing outside. It must have been the fall or the winter, but it, it was cold. And this van pulls up, like kind of screeches to a halt in this and the license plate from another state, I didn't see which one. And this family like pours out of the van and they just start running towards the ocean. And I was, and I just stopped like mid-run and just watched this family of four fully clothed just jump into the ocean and start like just like like the video just start splashing water and laughing and screaming like they had just reached the end of this journey and had finally seen the Pacific Ocean for the first time and it was a sight to behold it just renewed my love for tourism in San Diego. I just it was like, this is so cool. Um, it's the entertainment value alone. But it was so amazing watching their response to the ocean. And this is something that we get the privilege of seeing all the time. But for there's, there's people who, there was a pilgrimage to get there to the point where they were just acting just outside of themselves. Their response was so dramatic. And I was thinking about the past couple of weeks as a church where we have focused and spent a lot of time explaining and discovering and digging pretty, pretty deep into the cross and the resurrection. And the question that I've been left with this week is, what's our response? How do we respond to the cross and the resurrection if, if a family can respond like that to the Pacific Ocean? How do we respond to the greatest act of sacrificial love the world has ever seen and immediately following the most amazing claim of victory that has ever been displayed? How do we respond to that? Because when we look at the church, the early church, and we look throughout history, we see radical responses. 
And so this week, as I, I knew that was the direction we were going to go, is how do we respond to this? And to be honest, I, I found myself, it could have gone a thousand different directions because the response is so big. It can't be limited to three points. And so what I want to do, do you know, this is, tonight is just going to be a reflection on a passage, a, a way to respond. But the goal is that our response would be thorough and at our core, something that is, is true and authentic and exuberant because we have seen the crucified and resurrected Christ. So here's just a few, few points tonight that we're going to be taking. First, let's read the passage in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. And, and as we read this, just a little bit of a setup here. The author of Hebrews is writing to a community of Jewish people who have began to follow Jesus. And as they've done so, they have all sorts of questions like many of us have had. And they're trying to track and follow with these things. And so the author is kind of laying out this case of how Jesus is the Son of God and he's greater than Moses and he's our high priest and he's above the angels and that there have been people all through the Old Testament who've been putting their faith in God. And it, it is this beautiful thing thick doctrinal book. And as he gets to the end of describing the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and people's response and faith, as all Hebrews 11 is, is just people who've responded again and again. He comes to chapter 12 and he just says, therefore, which is, it's a response word. This is how we respond. Therefore, because of this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And, and here's the part we're going to focus on tonight. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, you're just like, he just drops the mic. It's just, it's this crescendo of the letter, right? This is why, this is what Jesus has done. He is the pioneer, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He went to the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. There is this epic kind of build and lift to this letter. And, and the response in that is says, we run. We will run a race according to that. We will live this life, walk this journey in such a way that is properly in response to this. So just three reflections on these couple of verses that I have found myself meditating on this week um, are these. Number one, we respond with perseverance. The cross and the resurrection remind us that we don't have to quit. We don't have to stop. We can continue to keep going no matter how long, how hard, how tired we feel. We have something as an as a inward motivation that the world only longs to have. Number two, we respond with a fixed eye gaze. We look intently into the face of God, the resurrected King. Number three, we respond with joy, which makes sense, I think, intellectually. Of course, we will respond with joy, but I think oftentimes it leaves us aloof as far as making that journey to our heart and how that applies. And so we're going to be spending time tonight reflecting on these three things. So number one, responding with perseverance. 
So he's, he's writing to this, this early church that has undergone tremendous persecution. And he's writing them to remind them, don't quit, don't stop, don't be tempted to quit. Run in such a way that you're not going to stop. And it immediately kind of brings this analogy um, of there's just different ways to run if you're running a sprint or a 5K versus if you're running a marathon. And, and he's kind of appealing to this, to this young church to say, run in such a way that you're not going to stop. Run in such a way, pace yourself, see the end goal in mind, know what you're running for because it's, you can't quit. This is something that should draw us out. And James, who's the brother of Jesus in the letter that he wrote, writes it like this in the first chapter, starting in verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, wherever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Love that line, and I hate that line. Another translation says, let perseverance take its full effect. Don't quit too soon. Let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And skipping down to verse 12, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood that test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And I remember studying this verse and scholars believing that that was not in reference only to heaven. This idea of a crown of life is not in reference to an afterlife. It's in reference to once perseverance has taken its full effect. Now, at some level, that might mean your life. There are, some, there are certain things like the thorn in Paul's flesh. There are certain things that we might carry with this rest of our life. But most things are not that way. Most things require a season of perseverance, sometimes years and that's, and that's at the end of it. If you don't quit too soon, if you don't stop and pull out because of fear or exhaustion, at the end of it is waiting this crown of life, this resurrection life that you have made. And, and, the, and the motivation is that is in those moments where you feel like this is too much, I can't do it anymore, this is too hard, I'm too tired, I feel alone, all we need to do is look at the empty grave. And remind ourselves that not even death can stop God. Nothing can stop him. So if you're here tonight and you're in a season and you are debating, do I quit, do I give up? And I don't know if it's on a dream or a relationship, a job, or on God himself. But my encouragement to you tonight is to look at the empty grave. And remind yourself, no matter how bad things seem, it does not get worse than being buried after a cross. And God conquered that, and he can continue to breathe life into your life, in your situation, in your context. And this is what resurrection does for us. It gives us perseverance. It tells us not to quit. I, I, Jen and I got the most amazing text a few weeks ago from some of our friends. Some of our dear friends for 10 years have struggled with infertility. They've longed and prayed and wept desiring a baby. They've spent thousands of dollars and done tons of procedures to try and figure out a way. And over the past few years, they turned to adoption. Well, maybe we can adopt. But because they are from Australia and here on visa, they aren't able, or they're able to apply for adoption, but most families won't choose them. So again, I mean, can you imagine a decade? And some of you can imagine because you've been in it 
of a broken heart, a longing unfulfilled. And we, we've mourned, we've wept with them, we've prayed with them, we've entered into that journey with them, and, and I've watched their endurance wane and their perseverance start to just feel um, hard to accomplish. And we sat down with them a little bit ago, and in December, they decided that they were going to paint their extra bedroom as a nursery. And to be honest, I was like, oh, man, I really hope you're not just setting yourself up for more heartbreak. In January, they got new carpet in case there's a baby that comes. And I'm just like, oh, guys. This is, gonna, this is just going to keep hurting. And, and, and I'm, me of little faith, I'm just standing back being like, oh, this isn't this is wise, you know? Like, do that. And two weeks ago, we got a text message that said, we, can't, we couldn't wait to tell you guys. And they sent us a picture of me and our new son we just adopted. And, it, and we lost it. We lost it. We were like, we were crying. We were celebrating. We bought the kids cake pops. We were just like going for it. I remember that night we were like, did we celebrate more about this birth than our kids? And you know what it was? It, it was that perseverance had taken its full effect. They didn't stop. They kept praying and believing and longing and believing that the God that they served could make anything happen because he already has. And, and it was such a lesson and a refreshing one for me of just reminding, no, no, because of the cross and the resurrection, I can live my life with perseverance. And it doesn't mean I don't grow tired. It doesn't mean that I don't struggle. But what it means is that there's something greater that I can look to that reminds me, keep going. Don't stop. Keep praying. Keep believing. Oswald Chambers says it like this. Perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. Love that. Perseverance is both endurance and this sense of this can happen. God is able. And maybe tonight that's all you needed to hear. God is able. And he has proven that. And we will respond in faith because of that. We will respond in perseverance. Number two, our response should be one of having our eyes fixed on the resurrected king, fixed on Jesus. The word fix your eyes, the word fixed in Greek is this really stunning word called aphoreo. And aphoreo literally translated means to look away from all else, to fix one's gaze upon. So in order to fix your gaze upon, it's not just an element of focus, it's an element of priority. It's an element of looking, everything else that's around us, that's pulling our attention, distracting, to let that fade. It doesn't mean it's not important. To hear me out. It just means that if we need to focus our eyes, fix our eyes upon Jesus. And then everything else that's in the peripheral begins to actually have a better version of us, a more loving version of us because we've fixed our eyes on the thing that we need most, the one that we need most. And so two things about fixing that requires of us, number one is focus and number two is frequency. 
In order to fix our eyes, it requires us to focus, but it also requires that that focus stay frequent. Um, I, I think about this word, this Greek word, aphoreo, that looking away from all else to fix one's gaze upon. And just to contextualize it in my own life, I, I thought about my wedding day. Um, we didn't do, Jen and I didn't do a first look. We didn't see each other before. And so I'm 20 years old, right? I just learned how to ride a bike. I just like, just learned to shave. I'm, I'm a boy, right? About to get married. So you can just imagine, like, I mean, I'm about to burst with excitement. And there's 300 people there in this chapel and there's stained glass windows and people are saying hi and the music starts playing and the processional going. And I'm just looking, I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe this is happening right now. And I remember vividly, like it's, it's ingrained into my, in my mind, the moment when she turns the corner. It was aphoreo, right? It was everything else faded. And I was like, wow. Only time in my life I've actually physically felt my heart skip a beat. I was just like, oh, this is my bride. Oh my gosh, I fooled her. <laughs> she's, she's here, she's coming to marry me. And, and that, that image, that focus will never leave my memory. But can I tell you, if that focus does not happen with frequency, frequently, then it doesn't really matter. I need to refocus all the time on my wife when she wakes up in the morning with her awesome stylistic hair, you know? And, you know, when I see her, when we pick up the kids from school, when we're sitting down and eating the kids' leftover chicken nuggets, I mean, just the normal life. Do I see her like that? Because that's what her heart's desiring. No. How much more? How much more does our gaze need to be fixed on our Creator? It's important in my marriage, but it is vital in my walk with God. Because if I don't focus on Jesus, then, then the love that my wife needs will lack. If I don't focus on Jesus, my creative energy for the church will lack. But when I focus in and I lock eyes with my resurrected Christ, everything else, all the peripheral stuff matters and it flourishes because my gaze is set right. I love how David writes in Psalm 27. It's one of my favorite psalms. This is one thing that I ask from the Lord. The only thing I seek is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his holy temple. That line, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This is it. I'm the king of Israel. It's never been better. It's flourishing. I have everything I want at my fingertips, but God, I want one thing, and it's to look at you, to gaze into your beauty, to know who you are, to fix my eyes upon you. I came across this, um, this old hymn this week called Jesus, I'm Resting by the Irish hymnist Jean Sophia Pigott. And she writes this, Jesus, I'm resting Resting in the joy of what thou art, I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bidden me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power thou hast made me whole. 
just reading those words just reminded that, that that's my prayer. God, I, I want to be so consumed by your beauty that you displayed on the cross. I want to be so consumed by your power that you displayed in your resurrection that I am just absolutely intoxicated by you. You're it. You're what I want to see. It, it, it's what will bring me back to life and those around me to experience the abundant life that can flow through me because I've seen you. And lastly is this. What do we respond with perseverance? What do we respond with a fixed gaze? And lastly, would we respond with joy? Would we respond with joy? And it's an interesting verse that we just read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, and it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, what I find interesting about this is that the joy was set before Jesus. It was ahead of him. But the joy that was set before Jesus is now set in front of us. You see, in order for Jesus to experience the joy of sitting at the right hand of his Father, for him to experience the joy of having us reconciled back to him, what he had to endure was so overwhelmingly painful and horrific, we could never even fathom it. But the joy at the end was so powerful that he endured it. But what's amazing about the resurrection is that that joy that cost Jesus so much is available to us now. I think one of the most powerfully subversive things a church can do to advance God's kingdom is have joy. And, and you're like, well, well do, does that mean I just have to be happy all the time? It's not what I'm saying at all. Um, a matter of fact, joy makes room for sorrow and happiness. It makes room for good days and bad days. You see, joy is this is this strong undercurrent that exists no matter what. Because we know that the truth and the power of the cross exists no matter what. When our joy is anchored in Jesus, it never has to leave. Have you ever met someone who's in the midst of, I mean, true suffering, and there's something about them that there's still this glimmer of joy in them? Is it not the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? You're like, how do you have that? What is that in you? And the thing for the author of Hebrews, he's referring to that, it's that same joy that Jesus had before the cross is given to us so that we can endure the, the struggles and the suffering in our life. So when we do suffer, when we do a pain, we are now identifying with Christ's death, but we don't have to accomplish Christ's death. In our pain, we can say, okay, Jesus, I understand at a moment, but thank you that even in the midst of it, I can have the joy now. And that's been a prayer for mine this week. It's been a prayer that, Lord, I, would I know joy, a joy that's rooted so much deeper than my circumstances, a joy that's rooted in the historical event of Jesus' death and resurrection that could never be shaken. This is why in the same chapter, Paul begins to write about an unshakable kingdom. Can't be thrown off or overthrown. Henry Nouwen says it like this, Joy does not simply happen to us. 
We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. It is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, listen to last night, that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. So if you ever need a reason to have joy, just anchor yourself in that I belong to God. And nothing, not even death, can take me away from that. I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come back up. Um, and as they do, there's just two, there's two very practical ways I feel like we can respond with joy. We can respond with perseverance. We can respond with fixing our eyes on Jesus. And, then, and the first one is worship. That we would worship tonight in this place with joy expressively, exuberantly, giving, singing everything that we have because of what he's done, that it would refocus our eyes on Jesus, that it would give us strength to endure and to persevere. And the second way I think that we can walk this out um, for those who haven't is through baptism. If you've not been baptized, there's no greater way to identify and respond to the death and resurrection than for you yourself to be baptized to identify with the death and going in the water of your old self and coming back out of the water, a new creation, a new life, a resurrected life. And so if you've never been baptized and you are a follower of Jesus, this is your next step. Um, you don't have to like wonder, should I? No, yes, do it. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you were baptized, you don't remember it. Maybe you were a baby or maybe you were a kid or maybe you walked away from the Lord and you're coming back. And this is a time where like, no, I'm, I'm following Jesus. I'm following and I want to take hold of that death and resurrection that was given for me and be baptized. Um, you can sign up on the sheet when you leave. You can send me an email. Uh, but next week after our 5 p.m. gathering, uh, we have invited the morning gatherings as well. We're going to all go down to Moonlight Beach and we are going to party. We're going to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus that has given us life. And we would love to do that with you. I know there's many of you who have just began relationships with Jesus. This is an amazing opportunity to do that. So let's uh, do me a favor. Would you stand to your feet with me? Let's, I'm going to pray, and then we will dive into, dive into worship. And before we do, I want to read this one last, one last quote from N.T. Wright in his book, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection and the Mission of the Church. He says this, Left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion that entropy, grazing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that there's nothing much we can do about them. Isn't that the lie? Things are getting worse, and there's nothing I can do about it. I love this. And we are wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people. In between Easter and the final day, I love that. We are to live as resurrection people people as a sign of the first and the I'm sorry Easter and the final day with our Christian life corporate and individual in both worship and mission as a sign of the first and the foretaste of the second let's pray father we thank you that we are the resurrection people lord we are your children invited into new life that lord even when we identify with your sufferings even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord Jesus, we can possess a joy and a peace. We can have perseverance, Lord, because tonight we are fixing our eyes on you, the pioneer 
and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, revive us. The dead parts of us bring to life tonight. Breathe in us, God. Move in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that there would just be a new work in our hearts tonight. Lord, we, we give you everything. We give you our worship, our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. Lord, that you would come in the places that we have abandoned. Would you come and make new? Lord, we ask that as we fix our eyes upon you, you would infuse us with your joy. And you would give us your strength to persevere. And then we would walk out of this place with a renewed sense we are your resurrection people. In Jesus' name, let's worship the Lord.